beginning a new series today. It's called Jesus Is. I like that. You like that? Jesus Is. It's going to be a four-part series, and you're not going to skip church because Pastor Phil's gone somewhere. No, you're going to come and hear the word of God because you're a Christian, okay? And if you skip church, I pray that you get, what do I want to pray for you? <laughs> Uneasy in your spirit. We'll just leave it at that. There's a lot of things that we could fill in the blank with. Jesus is a lot of things to a lot of people, right? Jesus is, all right, I'm going to experiment. It's always dangerous when you invite crowd participation, okay? But you're going to fill in the blank to start with. And my favorite one, I'm actually going to preach off the cuff today on that particular one. Are you, I'm just kidding. So Jesus is somebody fill in the blank. Fill, love, okay, where? What, who? Okay, Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus is selfless. Wonderful. Who? Everything. Everything. Right? We can go on that for a while. What else? He's cute. King. King. Oh, my bad. It's like cute with a crown. Okay, I got you. All right. What else? Jesus is? Man. See, it's great. Everybody stand. I'll just bless you. You can go, you've got it. No problem, right? So there's really no end. There's really no end. We've just proven that. The best that we can do is, is say who Jesus is to us from how we're experiencing him. How we, you know, that's actually, this isn't in the notes, okay? I'm going to say that every time something's not in the notes. It'll just take up most of my sermon. You know, back in the day, whenever the children of Israel were like following God in the wilderness, something would happen, usually something bad, and then God would break through, and then they would give God that name. Did you know that? There's so many names for God in the Bible. They would name God out of their experience. Well, I'm going to name Jesus out of my experience today. I'm going to tell you how I see him. Now, I see him in a lot of ways, but I'm going to tell you how I see him in one way. And um, I see Jesus as curious. I think Jesus is curious. That was not on your list, was it? It wasn't. Jesus is curious. Luke 24, 13 to 35. Listen to this. It's going to take me a minute to read it. Luke 24, 13 to 35. Y'all, check this out. It's a book. It has the Bible in it. It's great. That's why I have this big old podium, right? I'm always afraid the iPad's going to die. You know what I'm saying? I don't trust it. So I'm going with a book. Luke 24, 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us 
They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, it's slow of heart to believe all the things the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward the evening, and the day is now spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at their table, he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it. And their eyes were opened, and they didn't rec- And then they recognized him, and he vanished from their side. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, those who were with them, gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now put your hand right here on your heart and let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that our hearts might burn, that our eyes may be opened, and we see in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is curious. Second best question I ever asked my wife, Elizabeth. She's like, oh God, an Elizabeth story. Here we go. The second best, I don't go over my sermons with her. The second best question I ever asked you was, will you marry me? The first best question, the very best question, happened as we were sitting in the Crusader Cafe, circa 1999, Lakeland, Florida, Southeastern Bible College. Aaron Rios is right in front of me. We're eating something, probably a Snickers bar, maybe Milky Way with a Sprite. He's my roommate. We're talking one with another when all of a sudden a vision, a dream, a hottie, as we say, walked by. (laughs) Goes into the little lunch line area to buy a Pepsi for some poor schlep who's playing basketball. God rest his soul. And I saw her and I said, Aaron, my God. I walked behind her in that little lunch line and I was looking for something to say. I was thinking to myself, what can I do to get this girl's attention to engage her? And I walked up. I said, excuse me. And I smiled real big. And I said, do I have anything in my teeth? (laughs) That was the first question I ever asked your mom. Do I have anything in my teeth? That's how it went. Fellas, take note. Tell me it didn't work. I love a good question. And Jesus loves a good question too. 307 times Jesus asked questions in the scripture. You know that? 307 times. You know how many questions he answered? Three, turns out. But Jesus also had this Jedi-like move, right? Somebody would ask him a question. You know what he would do? He'd ask them a question. Somebody asked Jesus a question. He asked them a question. My children has this, had this gift as well when they were little. I would say things like, hey, would you mind cleaning your room? Question mark. To which they would respond, why? <laughs> very mature, very spiritually mature, these children of mine. In the story, Jesus has died. 
Two disciples walked seven miles toward a village called Emmaus. Who knows why they were going there? Maybe they lived there. Maybe they had worked there. We don't really know why they were going to Emmaus, but we know that Emmaus is not much of a place to go toward. It's kind of a jerkwater town, the backside of nowhere, and they're walking seven miles, and who knows why? Maybe they're going because of everything that had happened. Maybe they need to get it away. Maybe they're going because of the pain. Symbolically, Emmaus is where we go to avoid life's pains and disappointments. And it's on the road to Emmaus that Jesus pulls up alongside of them and he asks them a question. What are you talking about so intently? He asks them. What are you talking about so intently? And they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And they say, are you the only person in the city who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened? And Jesus says... What things? And they tell Jesus what happened to Jesus because they didn't know they were talking to Jesus. And after they tell him what happened, they say, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And here we are, we had hoped. And that's why they're walking on the road to Emmaus and not hanging out in Jerusalem, partying like rock stars, celebrating Jesus as king. That's why they're on the way to Emmaus, some no place of no consequence. That's why they're walking, because it's right there. We had hoped. We had hoped. Jason Upton has this song called The Road to Emmaus. Let me read you the lines of this song. He said, have you ever said goodbye to a hero? That's what they were doing, right? Have you ever had to lay away your dreams? Have you ever been so lonely that a stranger's your best friend? Then you know what I mean. It's our highway to heaven, our American dream, two fools on the road to Emmaus. It might as well be you and me. We all walk in Emmaus Road, right? Have you ever been disappointed in a relationship? Some stupid boy? I'm preaching to the third row right here, right? Just for a minute. All right. All right, let me go back to the fifth row. You ever been disappointed by some stupid girl? By some dream that didn't materialize? Have you ever had a hero? All my heroes always had clay feet. Never meet your hero, right? If I'm your hero, I'm going to disappoint you. By the way, have better taste than heroes. But have you ever been disappointed by somebody that you thought was one thing? It turns out they were another thing. Maybe that, maybe that was your first marriage or your second one. Maybe it was the job that you hung all of your hopes on. Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been disappointed by God? You're like, God's never disappointed me. You haven't lived long enough. You follow God long enough, you're going to be disappointed. Why? Because his ways are not your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Two fools on the road to Emmaus might as well be you and me. It's on their Emmaus Road disappointment that Jesus pulls up alongside and says, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Get this. Get this. Jesus H. Christ, the Son of God is walking on the road to Emmaus with two people who had hoped that he was the Messiah. 
They're disappointed because they had hoped that he was going to be the one to deliver Israel, a Jewish Rambo riding in on a white steed, dripping in the blood of his enemies. Turns out they crucified the guy. We backed the wrong horse, they say one to another. And Jesus walks up and says, what are you disappointed about? And they tell him, well, we thought that Jesus was the guy that was going to save us and deliver us and get us out from under the boot of Roman oppression. Oh, my goodness. And then Jesus just pulls up alongside of them and starts saying, don't you, don't you know that the Messiah had to suffer? And he starts in Moses, and he shows all the ways that the Messiah had to suffer. And he makes his way into the prophets, shows how the Messiah had to suffer, keeps on going and going and going, and their eyes are still not open. And I don't want you to miss this. It makes, it makes me feel better to know this truth, and I'll tell you why. Yeah, the Son of God explaining the Bible, and the people still don't get it. Every preacher's deep consolation. <laughs> if they didn't understand Jesus' sermons, well, it makes me feel a little bit better too. They didn't get that it was Jesus they were talking to about Jesus, even when Jesus was explaining what had to happen to Jesus. They still didn't get it. And then he vanishes from their sight some moments later after what happens. He goes and he sits down with them and he breaks bread. And then their eyes are opened. They compel him. They say, would you come and eat with us? It's getting late. He sits down and he blesses the bread and he breaks it and he gives it. And then their eyes are open and then he vanishes from their sight. That's how it goes with God, isn't it? Any one of you who have a few miles on the odometer with God, just when you think you got it figured out, he's like, see ya. I mean, he never leaves you, he never forsakes you, but you can never control him or pin him down either, right? Because he's beyond what you can think or ask or imagine. They only recognize that it was Jesus when he broke the bread. And now we've arrived. Listen closely, listen to this. They said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Did not our hearts burn? I thought that their eyes were kept from seeing him. Yes, but their hearts were burning the entire time. As Jesus asks them, what's happening? And begins to unpack how the Messiah must suffer. Their eyes were closed, only open whenever he gave them the bread. But their hearts were burning the entire time when Jesus shared his story. You, my friend, may have loved ones in your life, and it may look like they're far from God. They may be strung out on this or addicted to that. They may have wandered prodigally far from home. They may be in some jerkwater town in the backside of nowhere, disappointed with God and angry with you. You may look at them and say their eyes are closed. They're far away. They're running from God. They're lost. I'm running out of hope for them. And the whole time that their eyes are closed in this story, I want you to realize something. Their hearts are burning. You don't get to look at your friends 
You don't get to look at your family members who you think are far from God and write them off as a lost cause. Because even though it may appear that their eyes are closed, I guarantee you their hearts are burning. And the reason their hearts are burning is because the living Christ is working behind the scenes. You don't get to give up on people whose eyes appear to be closed because their hearts are burning. Well, how do you know their hearts are burning? Because eternity is written on the human soul. There is something inside of them that is crying out for something more. You say, well, it doesn't look like they're searching for God. They are searching for God. Because the human heart will make an idol out of something because it has eternity beating inside of it. It'll make, it'll make a God out of politics. It'll make a God out of their own pain. It'll make a God out of whatever it wants because the human heart beats for eternity. You don't get to decide whose eyes are too closed and who is too far gone because the spirit of God is burning inside of them. And all of that burning began because Jesus asked a question, and the question was simply this. What's going on? What's going on? What, what are you talking about? Jesus pulls up alongside him. He doesn't start with a sermon. What does he say? What's going on? A simple question opened the door to awakening. Jesus is curious. You know that the word curious comes from the Latin word cure, which means care, and also healing. Curiosity shows that you care so that healing can occur. Jesus is curious because curiosity shows that he cares. And when he cares, then healing can occur. I was sitting in a small group with, with a woman and, um, and she, was, she was telling the story about her, her niece that had come to live with them and um, she was sharing how she was going through some difficult times and the niece just comes from a, a background that the home life wasn't exactly solid, wasn't, wasn't based on God's word. It was based on a lot of things, but not on God's word. And she was saying how, I feel like I've just got a little bit of time like to, to, get, it, to get it through to them before they have to go back in that environment. I just got, a, I got a little bit of time to get it through. And she's going through all the things that she's trying. It's just like there's a wall between this woman and, and her niece. She can't break through the wall. And then one of the other people in the small group said, have you ever thought about asking them a question like, well, who is God to you? And starting there, a question like, where does it hurt? Or a question like, what's on your heart? What if instead of trying to prove a point, we asked a question? You see, our culture loves exclamation points. We fight in sound bites, in tweets and cable news. We're all trying to make a point. Somebody else tries to make a better point. It's easy to make a point. It's easy to make a point. It's easily like to make an exclamation point, but I, I, prefer, I prefer the contours of a question mark. I like the way a question mark. It's like it's borne the weight of all the world's problems and curiosities. Just punched over. A question enters in and says, would you just tell me where it hurts. 
Jesus, yes, he explained the scripture to them, but only after he asked them a question about their story, about their lives, about their hope, and about their heartbreak. But he wouldn't have known what story to tell them if he hadn't asked them a question about their lives. Do you get that? I want to make sure you get that part. I wish we could have a conversation. Jesus wouldn't have known what story to tell them if he hadn't asked them a question about what was going on in their lives. Well, one, it's a good reason to know the scriptures because when you ask people a question, they share what's going on in your life, then you can point to the activity of God in their life because you know the scripture story. But he wouldn't have known what story to tell if he hadn't asked them about their stories. It's so much of Christian evangelism. It's like we're out here going, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Like we're trying to make a point, like Jesus saves. God hates gays. Jesus saves. God hates abortion. Jesus saves. God hates Democrats. Jesus saves. Well, you fill in the blank of who the other is. Jesus saves. We're out here making points. Yeah. But maybe we need to say instead, hey, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? Hey, what's it like to be gay in America? Hey, I can see you disagree with me on this point. Tell me, tell me how you came to that place. I know you've been through a lot, it seems. Like, tell me your story. What if instead of saying Jesus saves, we said, where does it hurt? Because that's where Jesus wants to heal. That's what saves means, after all. Jesus heals. Jesus makes whole. Jesus loves your friend. Jesus loves your enemy. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemy, which means to that person, you are the enemy. And he's preparing a table for them in your presence. So what if instead of trying to prove a point, you asked a question? What's it like? How do you see God? How do you see this issue? You see, our evangelism in the early church, we have very little evidence that they went around just shouting on the street corners and trying to win people for Jesus. It was like this this slowly fermenting, organic, relationally driven multiplication of disciples as people would sit with their friends and love them. And it wasn't their message that changed their minds. It was their actions that changed their minds. Because they weren't just saying truths about God, they were living truths about God. And it earned them the right to tell their story. Here's evangelism training 101. Love Jesus with all your heart. Love other people the way that Jesus loves them. And ask lots of questions. And what you'll find is that Jesus loves them even more than what you do. We must become curious. We have to care so we can cure. You cannot be granted the opportunity to bring cure until you show that you care. We have to become curious, and maybe when we're curious, the next part of this, we're wrapping it up. 
Maybe when we're curious, we'll be asked to dinner. You see, when Jesus asked the question, then he told his story. And they said, hey, would you stay with us? And they keep walking. And Jesus asks like he's going to keep walking. And they're like, no, 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 come on in, man. It's getting late. You're going to get mugged. And he's like, all right, all right, I'll come on in. And he sits down, he takes the bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it. But all of that started because he asked a question. You got, you got, you got to get it. Jesus seems to know a lot about people. And what does he do? He asks questions. He asks questions. Questions like, what's going on? What, what, what things? Hmm. You know, in the Bible, Jesus is, is like the personification of wisdom. And you know, in the Bible, it shows us that wisdom, if Jesus is wisdom, wisdom asks questions. Wisdom doesn't give all the answers. Wisdom asks questions. So when we become curious, maybe we'll be asked for dinner. And maybe over dinner, we'll find that Christ shows up and opens eyes. Because I can guarantee you that he's already burning in their heart. The trouble is, most people don't know what to do with the burning. It's quiet in here. It's exactly how you want it. Because we're right here now. Jesus has asked them questions, and their eyes are open, and it gets to the place. It gets to the place to where he can tell his story and share a meal with them because he's been curious, and their hearts are burning. And I can guarantee you that there are people around you whose hearts are burning, and when you get invited to speak into their lives... It may not look like their hearts are burning because they drown it out with intoxicants. They drown it out with addictions. They drown it out with dopamine hits. That's a phone. They drown it out. But their hearts are burning. Jesus is wisdom and wisdom asks questions. I've been convicted by this a lot this week. Who am I to think that I can convince anyone to become a Christian. Who, who are you to think that you can convince anyone to become a Christian? The best you can do is live for Jesus and ask questions. Yes, culture seems to be going far from God. Yes. The response to culture drifting further and further from God is not for Christians to shout louder and louder and louder. It's not for Christians to try and legislate our way into the kingdom of God. It's for Christians to come up alongside of people who seem to be walking on a road to Emmaus and say, tell me what's going on. How do you see it? And maybe, just maybe, you'll be invited in to share a meal. And maybe as you're sharing a meal, maybe then their eyes will be open. And maybe then they'll say, Did not our hearts burn within us while we were walking on that road? Every meal has the potential to be an Emmaus meal. Every meal has the potential to be an Emmaus meal. So we end. Jesus is curious. Do you want to be like Jesus? Ask more questions. Give fewer answers. Ask more questions. 
well, Pastor Tommy, aren't we supposed to preach the truth to them? What if the preaching of truth sounded more like you sharing your story once they've shared their story? What if, what if you are the answer wrapped in an earth suit? How many, Christ, how many non-Christians are you in relationship with that you are genuinely praying, Lord, I know their heart is burning. I pray their eyes will be opened. Use me to ask them some good questions. See, anybody can ask questions. Anybody can ask questions. You don't have to be an expert to share Christ with people. You don't. You know, as a high schooler, you don't have to be an expert to share Christ with people. You don't. As, as a person enlisted or an officer in the military, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have, and that's one of the things that holds so many people up. They're like, I don't, I don't know enough of this. Well, dadgummit, start learning it, number one. But number two, pull up alongside people and say, hey, man, how are you doing? Does that make sense? Hey, girl, how are you doing? Because there were two people walking on a road to Emmaus, and because Jesus was curious, he got to share a meal, and when he got to share a meal, their eyes were opened. Right? So watch this. Watch this. Everybody close your eyes. I've been talking about Jesus today. You would say, for a while, my heart's been burning. I've been wrestling with God for a while. I, I, really, don't, I really don't feel like at this point in my life, I really don't feel like I'm in any sort of a close relationship with Jesus. But today I would, like, I would like to have my eyes open because my heart is burning. And I would just say, Lord Jesus, would you open my eyes today? Because my heart's been burning. I came here, a friend invited me, or I found this church on the internet or whatever. And, and today I want, to, I want to follow Jesus on whatever road he takes me because my heart's been burning for a long time. And all of the things I've tried to quench that burning with, they all have fallen short and they've all left it burning even more. It's like, I just want my eyes to be open. I want to see you. I want to follow you. I want to follow you, Jesus. Who would say that? Could I see your hand? Okay. Now leave it up. Leave it up. Now who would say, you know what? I'm, I probably do too much talking and not enough listening. I probably have become the type of person who thinks I have all of the answers and tries to prove a point rather than listening and becoming curious so that I can show that I care so that Jesus can cure people. Would you lift up your hand right there? Yeah. Who else? Who else? Let's just pray together. Close your eyes. Lord Jesus, the scripture teaches us that you stand at the door and you knock. You're patient. You're not pushy. You're patient. You're not pushy. And you say, if any person would open the door, I come in and I share a meal with him. Lord Jesus, several of my friends this morning asked to share a meal with you. They've, they've opened the door. And right now they're going to they're gonna ask you to come into the home of their heart. And you're going to ask right now in your own way. You're going to say, Jesus open my eyes. I want to see. I want to live. I want to follow. I want to walk with you. Lord Jesus, be, be not just an idea. Be close to me. My heart is burning. I want to follow you. Be near, oh God. You could even say it like this, Lord Jesus, save me.
save me. Save me. Heal me. Open my eyes. I want to follow you. Teach me your ways. I'm, I'm so tired of walking according to my own plans. I want to follow. I want to follow. I want to follow. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be healed whole. Lord, I pray, I pray with my friends, my hand being raised, because I often come with too many answers and not enough questions. Lord, I've heard my whole life, Jesus is the answer, and I'm starting to think Jesus is the question. What are you looking for is Jesus. So you are question and answer, Lord, all in one. You are everything we desire. And we repent, Lord. We repent of being caught up in our politics and all the platforms and all the problems. We repent and we lay it all down and we just say, Jesus, use us to ask better questions. Questions like, how are you doing? Questions like, how can I help? Questions like, how do you see God? Lord Jesus, we repent. Help us to become curious like you are curious. Look right up here. Here's where it ends. It says, then they went to Jerusalem and they told everybody what had happened. I love it. Jesus had asked them what had happened. And now what happens? They go and tell everybody what happens. After their eyes were open and they could see. All because Jesus asked a question. Here's your assignment. You ready? Here's your altar call. Well, number one, let me just talk to Christians, like new Christians, like people who raise their hand on the first question. You can't do this alone. All right? You can't do this alone. You can't follow Jesus alone. Following Jesus is not a prayer you pray in your heart and then you leave feeling better about yourself. Following Jesus is an invitation to a journey and you're going to make that journey with friends. All right? I have a real problem with altar calls. Real problem with altar calls. You know why? Because they ask people to make decisions and they don't ask people to change. And the only way you're going to change is by doing something different. So you raise your hand to follow Jesus. Now you need a small group of Christians to walk that out with. Well, how can I find a small group of Christians to walk that out with? Well, number one, here's how you could do it. You could find somebody who looks remotely Christian around you and say, can I buy you lunch and you can teach me about Jesus? And they'll say, yes. You could come on a Wednesday night and join a small group. You could just walk right in the sanctuary on Wednesday at 630. And you could start following Jesus. Now to the second group of people. What do you do? You ask other people to dinner. You're like, I, we don't people. I know you don't. You do now. <laughs> Ask them to coffee. Say, hey, can we go get, can we go get some Black Rifle? Because it's better than Starbucks. Can we do that together? I want to hear what's going on in your life. You have them over for a backyard cookout. And you just love them. And you just ask questions. And you just Listen. Do you know that Charles G. Finney invented the altar call and people would come forward. It's called the mourner's bench. And they would mourn 
They would cry out. And then they had a whole bunch of organizations standing right beside that were making a difference in the world. And then they would say, pick one. Pick one. They would pick one, and then they would go and serve Jesus. Right? Your next step is either is either your next step is just to go have a conversation with Christians and a news disciple on Wednesdays or whenever, or to invite somebody out for dinner, for lunch, whatever it might be. What will it take for this church to see with God's heart? Can you imagine every seat filled in this auditorium? Can you imagine these seats right here filled? Everybody look around. There's plenty of seating. You go, it looks full. It ain't. Like, look around. Seriously, like, look around. Like, Tommy, what kind of a sermon ending is this? Look around. There's room for this community to find hope in Christ. I can't think of a better church to invite them to. So what if Pastor Phil came back and we grew by 100 people while he was gone? He'd be like, holy crap. What in the world? What's going on? What if when Pastor Luke preached next week, he stood up here and he's like, holy moly. John, get some more seats. Yeah. Do you care? Their hearts are already burning. They're just looking for somebody to ask them a question. I haven't razzled. I haven't dazzled. I haven't even tried to be impressive. I just want to draw attention to a man who hung on a cross, who said to the whole world, follow me. Who's on your heart, church? What coworker? What friend? Who's on your heart? Lord Jesus, do something in us. Surprise us. Wake us up. Help us to be disciples who will ask questions because we just care. And we care enough to say, what's going on? We love you so much, Lord Jesus. Stand with me and we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. We love you, church. God bless you. We'll see you and your friend Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You're dismissed.